Welcome to the Third Growth Option Podcast, where we talk with business leaders and innovators hungry to drive growth that can be faster than internal organic growth and less risky than acquisition. Your moderator is Bernal Dunkerspuller, Chief Sherpa and CEO at Realign, who has led private equity-owned distributors through turnarounds and growth. With battle-proven leaders from all frontiers, we want to provoke thinking about business growth beyond conventional wisdom and binary choices. Hey, I'm Benno, your host, talking today with Trent Guyer. Did I say it right? You did. Thank you. Yes, not many do. Trent, uh, you are the VP of Marketing and Digital Strategy at uh, Grasshopper Mowers in Mound Ridge, Kansas, uh, which is not a big town. Small town, 1700 or so, right in the center of the United States, in the center of Kansas. I love it. Trent, welcome to Third Growth Option Podcast. So you're a third-generation family business. Uh, and, you know, the conversation that you and I had last week or a couple of weeks back, you're really engineering-driven, manufacturing, inno- innovator, product innovator, now delving into technology innovation, market innovation. And, you know, as as the head of marketing and digital strategy of sort of an old school, you know, heartland manufacturing business, you know, I really, I'm looking forward to kind of talking about, you know, how old school crashes into the new world. Paint the picture a little bit about, you know, the company, you know, started in uh, 65 years ago, I think. Uh, Just talk a little bit about the product innovation, you know, from grain dryers to zero turn mowers, et cetera. Just right. So you, you said I'm third generation. So uh, the first generation, my grandfather, and as a result, my grandmother as well as the support for him, he was a custom harvester. So he started on the farm in Osborne County, Kansas, which is north near the Nebraska border, northwest of here. And he, for his vocation, would start in Texas and work. He and his crew would work their way up to the Dakotas, cutting fields, custom harvesting. So, you know, it's a common practice. So they had the equipment. The farmer would provide the field and they would cut the grain, whatever that grain might have been, wheat most likely. They'd start south when it was warmer and work their way up as, as the summer rolled into the northern states. And as they would take the grain to market, they discovered that it, if it went to market wet, the weights would be off, but also uh, it could spoil if it, was, if it was stored wet. So he developed a portable recirculating batch grain dryer. And so some of the key things are batches. So it was doing small batches. So it was useful to say a farmer or maybe the local co-op, the cooperative, the grain cooperative, and also uh, that it was portable. So you could move it around very easily. So that was his vocation. And he, he then started marketing it around the world, around the United States, working trade shows and, and becoming, making his product become familiar. In about the late sixties, uh, we had a local farmer who had made this uh, single unit mower. And uh, as it was mowing the ditches around his house, a lot of his neighbors and friends said, hey, make me one of those. And he, being a farmer with what he had available to him, couldn't, couldn't do that and came to us, the manufacturing facility, said, would you make this for me? So that went on for a very short time. And it, and it just, he didn't have the means to, to buy all the steel and all the raw materials. And so we took that over very early on in the late 60s and uh, took it from there. So our head engineer in the late 60s, early 70s, developed what you see now on all 
zero-turn mowers are those levers. Levers come up around your legs. They come up, you know, your hands right in front of you. You steer it sort of like a shopping cart. You know, you push forward, you pull back. If you want to go to the to the left, you maybe push a little bit more on your right-hand side, push a little bit on your left-hand side to go to the right. And so we really developed that back in the early 70s. And so we did grain dryers and mowers side by side for a while. And uh, the farm market just started weakening in the late 80s for various reasons. The mowers really started taking off. And so about 1989, we focused solely on the mowers. And that's where we are today. So grasshopper mowers are sort of an, yeah, I mean, they've become an iconic product in a way, right? Uh, I, I, I love the photos uh, on your website of the grasshopper mower, you know, at the uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln's birthplace, uh, you know, the white, I don't know if it was the White House lawn or some Washington, D.C. monument lawn. Before I ask you uh, just a general question about what drives innovation, I'm, I'm curious about some of the manufacturing innovations as well. So the grain dryer and the zero-turn mower were product innovations, that you guys took to market, but then there were manufacturing innovations, uh, CNC and robotics back in the 80s, right? So really why we got into the mowers also was because it was a, an, a different seasonal product than the grain dryer. So it filled a manufacturing bit of a gap for us. A little bit, right, right. So as we were making the mowers, we, we learned that we need to get more efficient with this. We're in a really tight labor market in our area. I mean, the county in which our factory is located is usually an entire percent lower than all the surrounding counties in unemployment. There's just a lot of industry around here. So we had to find ways to be incredibly efficient. And as you said, we're a sort of a manufacturing-driven or an engineering-driven company. We're not, a, not marketing so much, which makes it fun and challenging for me as a marketer to get to follow what engineering develops. But in the early 80s, we started using we didn't develop, but we started using robotic welders. So you'd have a, a, a human set the, the metal into place, you know, on the jig, and then the table would rotate and the, and the welder goes, follows the software and, and works efficiently. We also got involved in a powder coating system. We learned that for our machine to be very durable, needed to have powder paint applied to it or, or powder that was baked on. And then following that came some robotic brake presses. Uh, some laser cutters, which are all end up being software driven and, and sort of work together in sync. So a bit like having a robot, you know, metal table drops the, the sheet metal down on the, um, on the laser cutter and then it, it cuts. And then as one laser machine finishes, it gets unloaded and, you know, all works together here. In fact, we've, we've been continue, continually adding new lasers that with the newest laser we have, can do the work of the four older lasers we have and then times four. So it's exponentially more efficient. So we're getting to the point that those four lasers that are probably approaching 15 to 20 years old will just be removed and, and just replaced with a couple new, what, 10,000 watt lasers. They're just incredibly efficient. They cut steel like you would cut paper. It's just amazing. Again, when, when, when I talked to you last time and cruised around your website and went through, you know, the product materials, descriptions, I get pretty excited. I'm a product guy. I'm a merchant and a marketer. And I get pretty excited when I see really great product that is, you know, just great quality, great uh, utility. And then you, you mix in manufacturing innovations. But all of that is, you know, very 
like I said, old school. It's very three-dimensional. It's very physical. You could touch it. And now you're talking about digital strategy, which is, you know, more difficult to sort of, it's less tangible, right? It's more difficult to explain. It's more difficult to, you know, just get your arms around. Talk a little bit about barriers that you run into being the VP of digital strategy of a very established physical third generation heartland business, right? So you're right. I mean, our equipment, we build it so you know, we don't want to make any excuses. We don't want to have to deal with uh, lack of quality. Uh, we build it so that, well, you spoke of some of these government entities like the Abraham Lincoln Birthplace, which is a, a, a national or a state, a state park. Some different places in D.C., whether it's the White House, uh, the National Mall, uh, some other places that are run by the government. So they trust our equipment and they need it to work and they need to work every day. Uh, because usually the person who's the purchasing agent isn't the person who operates. And the last thing that purchasing agent wants is to have somebody come back to them and say, that equipment that you provided me is inferior. So we think about those things. Uh, and if it it's good enough for government and those reasons, then it's great for day in and day out use for a commercial operator. But you're right. How do you sell that digitally when it's a touch and feel product? And we always say the the best understanding you get for our equipment is when you demonstrate the equipment, sit in the seat, run the levers and everything. How do you do that virtually? How do you, how do you do that digitally? It is tricky. So we've developed our lead generation system these days, whether it's, you know, digitally driven through, whether that's Facebook ads or some sort of digital ad network, but we always drive for the demonstration. That's our call to action, you know, schedule a demonstration with your dealer. And that's become tricky these days with supply has been tighter, just, you know, post-COVID, that's still something that's some lingering effects. So we're doing everything we can do with video, with very descriptive website. We have factory sales, salespeople who live in their territory who are available. Uh, we've got an extensive dealer network. So we're trying to fill all those gaps as best as possible. In terms of internal barriers, I, I, I imagine that uh, you have an executive team, a middle, you know, mid-management team that just thinks physical. I can touch it. If I can't touch it, it doesn't really exist, you know, and they probably kind of look at Trent as, you know, a little bit of a Martian, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> right? Are there cultural barriers to overcome to drive a digital strategy? There have been some because, you know, when we build a, a product, we generally look at it as, as it's in a finality, I guess it's, it's there and we will continue to build it. And we might make some tweaks along the way, whether that's from customer feedback or just experience. And we say, we need to reinforce this or, or, or do this a little bit different or go with maybe a different vendor on this because of a durability aspect or whatever. Those are usually become tweaks rather than any sort of major overhaul. In fact, we tend to make mid-season rollouts of things rather than this is our 2024 product and it is new and it is different and all that. We just don't, don't generally need to do that. We're just building durability. So you're right. Uh, when it comes to more of a, some digital things, it's harder to get people on board because they figure, well, we've already, we've developed our marketing. So why should we need to change it if we think like we do with our product? Well, marketing is, as you know, marketing is evolving at an exponential pace these days. And so we've had to look at it like, and how I've strategized it to people is we need to not only be the easiest to work with, you know, be, be that company that is easiest to do business with. And how is that? Now, has everything become digital? How you might, 
how a dealer might submit something to us instead of faxing in a paper sales order, a claim or whatever, you know, all that's become digital. And, and the other thing you have to say is if, if we don't, somebody else will do that. Some other brand will come along and do that very same thing. So you guys are selling through a thousand plus dealers in 40 plus countries around the world. Well, about a thousand, thousand in the U.S., North America, and then uh, about 45 countries beyond that, right? There's additional dealers, yeah. I'm sure there have been and continued and always will be lots of conversations with the thousand plus dealers. Are digital interactions with the end consumers replacing the dealer or are they supplementing the dealer, right? Are they, are they enabling the dealer? Talk a little bit about how digital enables the physical dealer net, network. Yeah, the latter for sure. It enables, it, it supplements, it adds to it. It makes things, you know, everything seems to in commerce be working faster, right? I mean, it used to be that sales cycle or that lead cycle would have been, you know, somebody would call in, talk to us on the phone and, and have a 30-minute conversation. Tell me about your machine. I might talk to them at a trade show, might send them, now say, I'll mail you some literature and some follow-up information. And that takes a week or so. And then they look at it and then they might call back. And that, that whole sales cycle could be drawn out for a month, maybe two months. Well, now that has shrunk down to, I've already done my research. I'm ready to buy now. Where's my local dealer? And so all these tools that we are between the, between all the digital advertising to help reinforce maybe why this purchase would be good, or also to reinforce why, reinforce why that purchase you made was good. You may have already bought, but to see our ads, you know, just reinforces, Hey, I made the right decision. I see this brand everywhere, but all of those things to speed up that process. I mean, you can thank, I suppose, Amazon for the quick delivery. You can thank Best Buy for the good website and all of the, and all the showrooming as you'd call it, all the places to go look at things. Uh, Walmart for the quick returns for all uh, return policy for all of the reasons people translate that into how they can buy a mower that same way. You're saying that the Amazons, the Best Buys, the Walmarts of the world have sort of retrained how the consumer thinks. I think so. That's Absolutely. right. Absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree. Right. The expectation is that we're living in sort of, you know, the, the, the expectation for both the consumer and I think also, you know, the the commercial buyer, the purchasing manager, you know, you mentioned the, the, the government purchasing manager, right? The, the, the ex, that purchasing manager has probably, you know, grown up with Amazon. I mean, if, if it's a, you know, late twenties, mid thirties person, you know, they grew up buying stuff on Amazon. So we're living in this sort of Uber world of, instead of calling a taxi, you know, we're, we're just ordering an Uber on the app. And the Uber app tells us everything we need to know. You know, where is, is the Uber, you know, 10 minutes away? Okay, now, now he's around the corner or she's around the corner. He'll, she'll be here in two, you know, one minute. How does that thought process of buying, how has that changed your customer facing? I'll, I'll, I'll start just with the customer facing, right? It will continue to influence how you go to market, right? Yeah, so that's so true. And because of all those thinking, that, that thinking of that rationale, we started on Amazon a couple of years ago. And I did a study in the first quarter of a few years, a couple of years ago. I looked at every order that was placed on Amazon and determined that the average drive time was 35 minutes one way. So that doesn't include maybe stopping to get a refueling your vehicle, uh, restroom break, that sort of thing. So that's over an hour plus the stop at the dealership. That's average. Many 
desire to purchase came after dealer business hours, about two thirds, or either on the weekend or in the evenings. I mean, everything that you would expect why people like Amazon, of course, translated to, to our industry as well. As much as that, though, too, we were trying to protect our brand online because there's a lot of ne'er-do-wells on there, right? There's a lot of ill-fitting parts on there, whether that's belts, blades, filters, anything that might be a wear part that you'd replace on an interval. Uh, there's a lot of aftermarket brands out there that say they will, will replace a grasshopper part, but just don't really do that. So we're combating all of those reasons, but it all comes back to visibility, availability. And what you said, you mentioned the Uber thing. That's so funny you say that because right now, as we speak, literally right now, as we speak, I have a Tesla and I bought it because of all the connectivity. And I just, that's how I like to think. The electric is a nice bonus. That's not, was not my main reason, but I bought it for all the connectivity. And that even goes for right now, as I'm getting it serviced, I wanted to get my tires rotated. I wanted to get new uh, windshield wipers and a new cabin air filter. I just discovered recently that there's a mobile service that will come when you book something that's not so long that it needs to go to a service center. So the Tesla factory or the Tesla person, you book it through the app, comes to your, wherever you say, home, place of business or whatever. So the, the tech right now is backed up to my car. He opened up my car when he, when he opened up the job ticket. And he's doing everything right now. As we're recording a podcast, you're telling As we're recording, right, right. Uh, over my shoulder, out my window, right here. What's amazing to me about that is I never once talked to anybody, never opened my mouth and spoke to anybody. It was all handled through the app. I booked it, just to your point, booked everything. I did it in my convenience. I could reschedule, I could pay for it, I could do everything. And that, and that is, the, those things like that are how I approach what we do in our business. Like, what can we do? Again, not to replace the dealer, but to supplement the dealer and make it easier for them to be seen, to do business with whatever it is with their customer. Because when they go, man, I just, that owning that grasshopper, not only was that an incredible cut and the durability is amazing, but when it comes to service, the dealer is great. The factory cares about me. They're great. I'm somebody to them. I work with clients in different states and countries and our team is spread all over the place. And I always say, you know what, if it's not on my calendar, it doesn't exist. I think the same is true for the consumer or the end user. Today, if they cannot interact with you online, you kind of don't exist, right? So you need to be there. And, you know, you mentioned lead generation earlier and, you know, advertising digitally. You know, that there's the customer-facing interaction that has to be online. And then there's also the operations-facing, you know, uh, from between your customer back into, you know, your accounting, your customer service, your, if I'm a buyer, I want to know, did you receive my payment? Hey, I had a problem to get something replaced. You know, was the job ticket, you know, was that was that completed? So on the operations-facing side, um, what, if anything, are you guys doing to make that digitally more seamless? So somebody listening to this podcast now might say, you're not really doing any of, of those things that you say you're doing or want to do, but those are all things that are on the horizon. So uh, dealers can pay, like ACH, you know, can pay digitally now or, or direct payment. 
they can file sales claims with us digitally. They can register the equipment digitally. These are all barriers we had to overcome because we used to handle it all on paper because we wanted a wet signature or whatever. We handle, while, while the end user goes to their dealer for service, sometimes the dealer needs to call here for extra support or that end user might call here. As part of our lead generation system, like using HubSpot, you know, there's, a, there's a service hub aspect that's a, a bolt-on piece to, to, to HubSpot. So we're working on integrating that to make the service aspect of it more automated, more, more quicker to use. Uh, if that includes using some sort of a, an AI component to it in the future, once we get the first part rolling, that's our intent. All those things to be easier, for sure. And it's been tricky for us because, you know, when you're a 65-year-old company and you've had, you know, when you go back to the days of you used, what, those punch cards uh, on old systems, the binary systems back in the 70s, which was, you know, before me, so I've only heard about it. When you've been around much, much longer than a lot of these companies who provide solutions to you, it's, it's a difficult thing, not only for them to understand necessarily, but also to get our own mindset because we don't just export our data and import it into their system. Things don't fly over that easy. You have all kinds of legacy barriers to overcome, right? That's right. So that's why we have to take a step-by-step process, you know, slowly work our way through that. So not only do we have to make sure the data matches, but also it's a, it's a culture change here, to your point you made earlier. You know, I've, this has worked for me and I know how to do it, but I bet you if we did some things, we could streamline it and make you even more time and you could do even more things and, and enjoy doing it at the same time. I'm fascinated by the you know, the topic of digital transformation. And, you know, again, I think about it both in terms of customer-facing front-end of the business and operations-facing sort of the back-end of the business and how do you make the two come together more seamlessly, digitally, automated. It is definitely a mindset change first and foremost before you can get you know, before you can build this beautiful digital highway system, right? I mean, it's, um, yeah. So, so I, I use the word digital touch points instead of digital transformation because it just helps me sort of focus on anything digital that touches the customer, right? Because if it doesn't touch the customer, I, I mean, that's, you know, so I'm, I'm sort of ignoring, you know, robotics and industry, you know, manufacturing 4.0. You could totally geek out on the, entire subject matter, but it gets, I mean, just digital touch points is complex enough. And it sounds like you are spending probably a good amount of time just sort of evangelizing a little bit and having conversations with uh, your executive team around the mindset around digitizing and, and, and automating touch points. That's right. And so one of the, some of the, one of the most basic comments I've made is, Approach everything you do digital first. Your source of truth should be digital, not, oh, let's say product information should be digitally cataloged rather than in a printed piece of literature. We historically would go to the literature to look up fitment information, compatibility, whatever that is. Let's go digital first. And then the printed piece is just something so that you can hold, you know, hold in front and look at and you can mail somebody. Obviously, because search, you can't search, you can't search a piece of paper very fast, right? The one thing, one thing I've said too is if it's already been typed out or digitized for you, somebody's written, uh, typed something out in an email or in, in a database or whatever, don't retype that in some other place. Whether that's a copy paste, if that's a query formula in a spreadsheet, 
whatever, don't retype something because errors come, inefficiencies happen. So if you start getting your mind wrapped around that, then everything else starts to see seemingly lay out for you that, hey, this is, a, this is digital first. We can, we can do that too. It's a never-ending quest, isn't it? Digital transformation and digitizing your business. It is. And it's fun. <laughs> Most of the time anyway, right? <laughs> Most of the time, yes. The coding aspect of it, sometimes it's maybe on a personal level to, to kind of geek out a little bit. It's fun. But it's also neat to see how it all then comes and works together. And then it's neat to be able to show somebody, hey, look at this. Look how we do it this way, how what we've saved you and the excitement they get about it. Trent, I'm really enjoying, you know, just hearing you talk about, you know, the various components of digital transformation and how you, you know, you and your team have been able to take that into a, you know, like I said earlier, a, a very engineering-driven manufacturing product innovation environment uh, where you're now using or applying innovation to technology, to digital transformation, to digital touch points. A lot of people, I think, are intimidated by the process. And what I'm hearing you say is, it's a mindset change. Take it one day at a time. Take it one interaction at a time. And never stop digitizing. That's right. And and I think I, how I said earlier, how we... Our customers have been conditioned by those Best Buys, Amazons, Walmarts to think a certain way. That's even how I thought initially. It was, well, can I just buy this, flip a switch, and and digitization happens? No, no, it's a, it is, it's a, to your point, it's setting up a bunch of whatever uh, workflows or whatever, and it is a slow process. New process, but- new language, new mindset, right? If folks wanted to reach out to you or you know have more conversations with you one-on-one. Where's the best place to find you, Trent? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. Trent Guyer, if you search me up, T-R-E-N-T-G-U-Y-E-R on LinkedIn. I, there's maybe a couple of other of us out there, but if you look and find the one that's connected to Grasshopper, you'll find me. Perfect. Thank you so much. Uh, I really enjoyed the conversation and keep on transforming and digitizing, man. Thank you. It's fun. Sure is. Hey, uh, if folks wanted to explore other growth topics, uh, you can find me on our website, realignforresults.com, or just email Benno, B-E-N-N-O, at realignforresults.com. Thanks, and keep growing. You can listen to more episodes on Apple, Spotify, or Google. We would love for you to subscribe, rate, and review it. Share it with your friends or colleagues if you enjoyed the content. Always growing.